And we're glad that you are joining us today, and we just trust that God's going to bless us and bless you as you listen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to praise and to honor you, and we just want to praise you there now with the Lord, but with our attention, to open our hearts to you, open our minds to you, to hear what it is you want to say to us. Father, we thank you that you're always speaking, that you're always communicating, that your spirit here with us. You've said, Jesus said, if two or more of us are gathered together in his name, there is he in our midst. Well, we've got many more than two gathered together in his name, and therefore we have confidence that he is here today through his precious Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we're asking you today to open the eyes of our understanding that we would truly see the hope of your calling for our life that is in Christ Jesus. And for that, we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to begin a new series today. I'm going to ask him if you put that picture up that I gave you to put up. Anybody recognize what that is? Yeah, it's an astronaut. Some of you are young enough, you don't remember when we actually had men that walked on the moon. And I've forgotten which one that is, but I like that picture because it kind of introduces the concept that we want to begin to talk today. Uh, you know, I remember back in the 50s, back in the 60s when uh, President Kennedy announced that we were going to put a man on the moon. And that just seemed so unbelievable. And then only was about nine years later or eight years later, I sat in my living room one late one Sunday night and watched Neil Armstrong come down off of those steps and, and walked on the moon. And it was amazing to me that we could actually see him do that by television. Uh, I remember thinking back to my grandfather who... When, uh, he he passed away actually that year, um, uh, uh, right before that. But remember him telling me when I was a little boy that he remembers when they announced that the light bulb had been invented. And in the space of his lifetime, we went from a light bulb being invented to watching a man walk on the moon. And I remember because I got fascinated with all that stuff. I, I'm I, you know I'm I'm a techie freak. I like things like that, and I got, you know, the latest gadget, gadget and things. I can't do that. i, I got to discipline myself, but I, you know, I love those kinds of things. So when they get into this technical stuff, I just, I ate it up. And um, I remember watching how they talked about these, these space suits and how they're air-conditioned and, you know, everything he needs to survive. I mean, he's not attached to anything. Everything he needs to survive on that moon is contained in that suit. And as you look at that picture, what I like about it is, and to those of you listening, this is a man on the moon in, in a, in a spacesuit on the barren face of the moon. That does not look like a welcome place to live. It's a hostile territory. And, and the scientists discovered not only does it not look like it's suitable for life, man cannot live just anywhere. You couldn't take a man, fly him up, open the door of your spaceship, say, we'll come back and we'll see you in a couple of weeks you wouldn't find anything after a couple of minutes because the, the, the heat and just the, the rays of the sun, there's ul, the ultraviolet rays that destroy you and, and all the other things. It's a foreign territory. It's a foreign, it's a foreign planet. It's a foreign existence. So in order for a human being to operate there, they have to wear a suit. They have to wear a suit that provides their own environment that allows them to still need, satisfy their physical needs but in that place. And that's a very poor, that's a very poor uh, um, uh, example of what I want to talk about because there really is no perfect one. The other one, I don't remember the name of this, but I read years ago that there's a type of, particular type of spider that, that crawls around in the land but lives in the water. And what it does is it takes air in, climbs down in the water, and expels, expels it and forms a bubble that it now lives in down there and comes up. So it, it lives in... It exists in a foreign atmosphere from what it needs to survive, and it has to go bring that with him. And the reason I want to talk about that is that describes where we are. The problem is most of us don't realize that. So you look at that, if you're an astronaut on the face of the moon, you know you're not home. I mean, you don't, it doesn't take a revelation. It just takes you to open your eyes in the morning, look out the window of the, the lunar module, and realize this isn't Kansas, Toto. You know, we're, we're not home. We're, we're not e and then you see, um, it's amazing to see the pictures of the, of the earth rise. Remember those gorgeous pictures they sent back? I, I can't imagine what it must have been like to come out on the surface of the moon, look around at this desolate place, and there's home, 250,000 miles away. 
and you dawn on you, you're not home anymore. This is not, this is not my home. <laughs> this, is, this is nice to be here. It's an experience of a lifetime. There are only a handful of people that have experienced that. But this is here. I'm only here for a time. And then I want to go back home because that's where my family is. That's where I don't need one of these special suits to live in. That's what was made for me. And we're going to look at, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And you can take that off now. This is where we are, except it's even more profound. It's even more dramatic. Hebrews chapter 11. We're preparing a foundation for this new series because I believe that many of us miss what God has for us. Many of us are struggling in this life. And many of us are dealing just with serious emotional issues about life because we really don't know who we are. Now, I'm talking this morning to people that are in Christ. I'm talking to people that have, that have, have call, asked Jesus Christ to come into their life. They put their life into His hands. And then something happens when you do that that we may know intellectually in church, but when it comes to living our life out, we forget it. Whereas those astronauts knew every morning they got up, or whatever it is they got up in, whether it was morning or not, I don't know. Whenever they were going to go outside that capsule, they had to put this suit on, because they, they wouldn't, you know, I, there was not one incident where they walked outside, ah, I forgot to put the suit on. Ah, what was I thinking of this morning? I better go back in. No, they went, I forgot, it was like two hours to get in this suit every morning, just to get ready to go out in foreign territory. And what you don't realize is when you get up in the morning and go out of your house, you're stepping out into a foreign world. And how much time do you put, take to put on the equipment that God's given you to not just survive, but to prosper and to accomplish what you're here to accomplish? We get up in the morning, open the door, door of our lunar module, and just step right out with a cup of coffee in our hand, and that's all I need is that cup of coffee or whatever it is, tea, or whatever you drink. They wouldn't, they wouldn't think of doing that. They knew, they knew where they were. They re- knew because their senses told them, even if their training didn't tell them, their senses told them, I've got to put that suit on if I'm going to even think of going out of that door. And yet you and I are in a far more hostile territory, a far more hostile environment, but not hostile physically, hostile spiritually. And because that's a realm that we don't see with our senses, it's very easy to miss this. And so we're going to go back and begin to look at who we're made up of. The Bible tells the real power and significance of that understanding. You have to understand something first of all, that there are two kingdoms that exist that the Bible tells about. There may be more, but the Bible talks about two kingdoms. There's the kingdoms of this earth, this material net realm, and there's the kingdoms of heaven. And we're going to talk about those two kingdoms. But here's what this is all about. This chapter is all about faith. If you look at the end of chapter 10, and of course this wasn't written in chapters and verses. If you look at the end of chapter 10, it tells him to do not throw away your confidence because it has a great reward that's attached to it. It says, don't be among those who pull back to perdition. For the just, those who've been made just, those who've been made righteous by faith in Christ, were made righteous by faith in Christ. When you put your faith in Christ instead of your good works, when you put your faith in Christ and invite Him into your life and say, I'm going to trust you to, for what you did on the cross for me, that's the basis for which I'm going to trust God. Not anything I do, not how faithful I am or unfaithful I am. That's what the whole book of Romans is about. That's the gospel. That when we put our faith in Christ, He comes into our life and He changes our nature. And now become, we become children, sons and daughters of the living God. But then it says, not only are the just, those who have been just, it says they shall live by faith. Not just get saved by faith, but we're supposed to live every day by faith. By faith in a God we can't see. By faith in promises that we can't see at this point. And so that's how chapter 10 ends. It says, don't be among those who pull back, who let go of their faith, their trust in God, to perdition, to destruction. But be among those who, are, who, who, who finish their course and then chapter 11 starts out with, if, we're to be ju- if, we're the, if the just are to be saved by faith, if we're to walk by faith, then we must understand what faith is. Chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is what allows us to have confidence that there are things that we hope for that we can't see that are real just because God has promised them. 
So the whole book of, whole chapter 11 is all about story, of, is examples of people that have learned to walk by trusting in the God and His promises that they can't see and living in this life as if it were real, as if they could touch it. So what Hebrews 11.1 basically says is faith is what allows us to consider as real or substantial things we can't see or detect with our senses. I know this pulpit's real because I can feel it and I can hear it. And if I were inclined to lick at, I could taste it. But my senses tell me this is real. So I don't need any faith to believe there's a pulpit here so that I can lean on it because I can feel it there. But what about leaning on God? What about trusting God in the midst of a different situ- difficult situation? What about just trusting God that when I die, I'm going to heaven and not going to hell? What about just trusting God that there is a heaven? And there is a hell. There are a lot of people in church today don't even believe there's a hell. I-, I can't lean on that. I can't reach out and touch heaven unless God does something supernatural. I can't even lean out, lean out, and I can, you know, and the, my wife sometimes in the middle of the night will reach over and just touch me to make sure I'm there. Not that I'm going anywhere, it's just, it's, it's a comfort. We got a bigger bed a couple years ago, and she doesn't like it sometimes, because she likes to know I'm right there with her. So she'll reach over and touch me, and, and I like that. So she's, but she knows I'm there, because she can touch me. But you can't reach over and just touch God. Oh God, I know you're present with me. Especially in a difficult time, you know, I can't reach out and touch Him. So how do I have assurance that he's really there? How do I have assurance he's really going to do what he said he's going to do like I can have assurance enough to lean on this pulpit? Faith is what allows me to do that. Faith provides the same thing, the same confidence, that a sub, the same substance that touching it does. It gives me that confidence because faith is the substitute for my senses when it comes to God because what we're going to learn is God exists in a realm your senses can't detect. So Hebrews 11 here is all about examples of people that did that. So, it was by faith, verse 8, as you see up there. By faith, Abraham obeyed by going out to the place. Oh, you got the New Living Translation up there. See if you can put the King James up there. The New King James. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He went out... He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promises as, is, as in a foreign country. So he lived in this country. You know the story. He was Abraham, his name was Abram at the time. Abram grew up in a city called Ur, U-R, in Chaldea, which is where was, became Babylon, which is basically where Iran is right now. And they were moon worshippers. And God spoke to him and told him to leave that country and go to a place that he would show him when he got there. And he left, he did take some of his family with him, and then, but the point is he left not knowing where he was going, so he had to trust God to leave what he knew to go to a place that he didn't know. It would have taken faith just to go tell your wife, we're moving. Well, dear, where are we going? I don't know. Why are we doing this? God spoke to me. Who? Because they never heard God speak before. So it took faith just to go tell his wife. <laughs> to leave and to go to the place where he was calling them to go. Now there's a point we're making here. We're going to come clearer. But in verse 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise. So when he got there, he dwelt in that land. He still dwelt in that land by faith. See, it take, you, you, you left the world and the world system when you called upon Christ to save you. And you did that by faith. And so when you called upon Christ to save you and His Spirit came into you and saved you, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, you left this world, not physically, spiritually you died to this world and you were made alive unto God. So you left with a world where you were and you were brought into a land of promise which is the kingdom of God within you. You follow me so far? Okay, but notice once he got there, he still dwelt or lived in the land of promise as if it were a foreign country. And see, this is the problem that many of us are struggling with right now. 
We're members of another kingdom, of another family, living on foreign territory, but we're living here as if we belonged here. We're moved by whatever goes on around us. I'm just so blessed with this supposedly smartphone I have because whenever anything goes wrong in the world, it pops up and tells me more bad news. And some days it just seems like it's bombarding me. Now, I know there's a way to turn it off. I'll turn it off, but, it's just, you know, but, you just, but even without that, there's messages coming at us all the time. Video, you know, messages through your eyes, through your ears, telling you what's going on in the world, what's going on around us. And when you pay so much attention to that, it becomes overwhelming to us, and we forget who we are. And many of us have never really discovered who we are in Christ. I mean, we know we're saved, going to heaven, but what does that mean to us? How real is that to you? How real is it to you? I mean, Paul wrote, writes in Philippians chapter 1, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm caught between these two desires, whether to go on and, and to die and go on and be with Christ, which for me is much better, or to stay and live. He's trying to decide whether to live or die. And he's saying, I vote for dying. Now, how many of us would do that? We're scrambling as hard as we can to hang on to this life as long as we can. Because we haven't seen. We haven't seen what awaits us. I've shared with you some testimonies of men that I knew that either saw into heaven by a vision. One man I knew died and went to heaven and he came back to life again. And he, I'd shared with you before. He could not fear. He couldn't make himself fear. He'd seen where he was going, but he'd seen it with his eyes. But, but, oh, this is so, oh, this is so good. Remember when Jesus appears to the disciples the first time and Thomas isn't there? And then he disappears and Thomas comes back. And they said, the master's alive. We saw him. He said, I won't believe unless I see him and I touch him with these eyes and with these hands. And so Jesus, you know, we're more blessed than the disciples. Wow, what if I could be with the disciples? No, we're more blessed than the disciples because he says those, now listen, that makes sense. Because really what faith is is simply taking God at his word. Doesn't that bless you when your kids actually do what you say to do? Woo, they actually did what I said. Doesn't it bless you when people trust you? Well, how much more God when we trust him? Faith is simply trusting God and it blesses Him, it pleases Him. Unbelief is basically distrusting God and saying you're not worthy to be trusted. That's why unbelief is such a serious issue. And we think, well, it's, that's no big deal. No, it is. Remember the story of Jesus, no, well, Jesus walking on the water and Matthew's account, Peter got out of the boat and said, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water actually walked on the word come. And then, of course, he stopped looking at Jesus and began to look at the wind and the, and the waves. And because of that, he began to look at the natural circumstances and realize, well, I don't belong here out on water. See, out on the water, he was like the astronaut on the moon. He was somewhere where you can't go naturally. But he did it. He walked on water. He may have sunk, but he walked on water. If they ever have a roll call in heaven of how many walked on water, it won't take long to answer. <laughs> he walked, a man walked on water in a storm because he took Jesus at his word. If Jesus said, come, I can walk on water. What happened is he took his eyes off of come he took his eyes off of the man that said, you can do it, and put his eyes on the water and the wind that was blowing the water around, and those natural senses told him, you can't do this, even though he was doing it. And he began to sink. It'd be neat just to begin to sink. Because if you go out on this pond right now, and you decide to walk on that pond, you know what's going to happen? You're not going to begin to sink. You're going to go straight down. There's no beginning to sink about it. You either walk or you sink. 
And there's things God's put us here to do. There's things God has put in us that we're not walking in because we're so dominated by this life around us. And even when we hear a good message that inspires us, we think, I couldn't do that. No, you can't. Just like Peter couldn't walk on water. But when Jesus said, come, and he trusted Jesus' word, he walked. And the amazing thing in that story is, Jesus didn't, and of course he takes him back into the boat. See, even if you fail, that's good. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. Even if you step out and you, and you, you sink, Jesus was right there and took him by the hand and took him back into the boat. You'd think Jesus would have put his arm around him and said, Peter, Woo! You walked with me on water. You took two steps. Now he rebuked him. He rebuked him. He says, why did you doubt? I don't think he was mad. Now he didn't say anything to the other 11 that sat in the safety of the boat. But I think Peter stirred in him. Man, here's one of them that at least will trust me enough to step out of the boat on my word. And Peter, I saw potential in you, and you were doing it. Why did you doubt? See, Jesus couldn't understand doubt. He, he couldn't comprehend it. Why? Because he did not walk dominated by his natural senses. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Oh, I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of, way, well ahead of myself. All right. That's what this is about. So by faith, he dwelled in a land of promise as if it were in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, his son and grandson. The heirs with him of the same promise. So they dwelt in tents. And we're going to see in a moment that what they were looking for was a city that has a foundation. To their house while their parents were away. And they've set this tent up in the backyard. And the other night... Jonathan decided to go camp, sleep out all night. And he said somewhere in the night he heard, he heard a noise outside and realized there was a raccoon walking around the tent. And then it started to rain. And he realized it was better in the house in the rainstorm than it was in a tent. Because the tent has no foundation under it. So they could take the tent down tomorrow. In fact, when you get a tent, the idea of a tent is you can put it up wherever you're going to go camping. So when you, when you, when you build, take a tent and you assemble it and you set it out in that campsite, you've not made a permanent commitment to that campsite. You're there for that night, that weekend, whatever it is, that, that, that jamboree or whatever it is you're on, because you understand that when that time's over, you're going to fold the tent up, put it back in the trunk of the car, and go back to your house that has a foundation, which is permanent. So as we read through these, the, 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 the dichotomy here, the difference is between a tent which is a temporary dwelling place that's movable, and a house or a building or a city that has a foundation which isn't going to move. It's more stable, but it's also a permanent dwelling. Everybody with me so far? All right, that's what this is about. So in verse 9 says, By faith they dwelled in a land of promise as if it were a foreign country. So they understand they were in a foreign country, and they were dwelling in tents with his child and grandchild, the heirs of him of the same promise. Verse 10, For he waited for the city who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So Abram learned to live his life here on this earth, as if he were living in a temporary dwelling for a temporary time. Because what he was really looking for was his ultimate dwelling place, which is a city, a dwelling place made by God that has foundations, which is obviously heaven. And in order to live here in the tent, with whatever that meant, and to keep that hope alive, it took faith to believe that that promise that he had a place, a dwelling place in that city that God made with a foundation, he had to have confidence that, that he had a reservation there. There was a room there. Now, when we were, had a, our family was younger and we used to go on trips, you know, there's some of you that are adventuresome and you'll just drive and decide that when you stop you'll find a place to sleep. 
I wasn't that adventuresome. I wanted to have the reservation before we left home. I want to know that I came to the end of 10 hours of driving. I had a pillow and a warm bed with air conditioning or heat, whatever it was. I need, I need to know I had a place that I could lay my head down that night. And I needed to know it, so I want to know I had a reservation there. And I wanted a confirmation number. So if I got there and they said, I'm sorry, you don't have a reservation, I'm saying, I got a confirmation from them. If you don't have one, you got to make one for me. Because I've just driven 10 hours and I'm tired and I'm hot and I'm sweaty. I want a place that I can take a shower and go to bed and get a nice meal. That, that's what I want. And that's what Abraham was. Abraham lived his life here knowing he had a reservation there. This is why Paul could go through the things Paul went through. Pastor Kurt encouraged us earlier about Paul and Silas in, 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 in the book of Acts, at, I think it's 16, where they're in, they're in prison, in, in the inner prison in, in Philippi the first time there, for, for preaching the gospel, for doing what they're supposed to do. And at midnight, they start singing praise, and, praise unto God. And, you know, how many of us could, would really do that? And they didn't do it because they'd read chapter 16 in Acts and know that's a good thing to do. They were chapter 16 in Acts. They did it because they were so conscious of the kingdom of God inside of them that whatever the circumstances were, they didn't move them. Now, Paul was human. Paul went through emotional things. If you read the first chapter of 2 Second Corinthians, he despaired at some point even of his life, but he went through things you and I will never go through. But he still knew to call out on God. So they were looking for a city. I better move along because we'll never get through this. Okay. Verse, well, verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed by which she bore a child which was past the age because she judged him faithful, that's God who had promised. Therefore from one misses, the promises is of their home in heaven. Having seen them from afar, they were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I want to look at that for a minute. So they came to the end of the... He said, bother me, wait a minute. I thought this was about faith producing. I thought this was about faith works. And, you, and, and, and Hebrews says they died in faith but didn't receive the promise. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's not too encouraging. But the promise they're talking about is the promise of that city, the promise of that, that, that eternal city, the promise of the glory that God had called them to. And, but they saw it from far off. They didn't receive it here. They saw it from... Now, you see that the church tends to go through different cycles, like a pendulum. I've got a, 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 an old clock in my study in there that has a pendulum in it that goes from, doesn't go far, but it goes from one side to the other. And the church people tend to do that. So back in the 50s and the 40s, there was, there was a movement where everybody was singing about heaven, everybody was going to heaven, what a glorious day it will be, and all those things, but became so heavenly minded that we were no earthly good. And now that focus has shifted to the other side, Everything's about believing God for this life and believing God for a new car, believing God for this here. And we've forgotten that ultimately this stuff goes away. And so we've got to come back the other way and keep our focus. So the promise they didn't receive yet because they were still living here was the promise of their eternal reward. But having seen them from afar, it was faith that allowed them to see something that they couldn't see with their eyes. They didn't, the heaven didn't open up, the clouds didn't part, and suddenly they saw the celestial city, and they saw their mansion waiting them, and a door opened beckoning them to come. They couldn't physically see anything, but they saw it in here with these eyes. They saw them from far, and were assured of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The New Living Translation says nomads. The ESV says exiles. But all of those words imply you're living somewhere that's not your home. Just like the astronaut was living for whatever number of days on the, on the moon, but he knew it wasn't his home because his natural senses told him that. But our natural home is not something we could just look up and see coming up over the surface of where we live and... And he says they could see the earth. We can't look with our senses and see heaven, but we can see it by the eye of faith because of what the Word of God tells us about it. And we've got to learn to walk in this life with our inner eyes of faith almost more on that 
They had to focus on what they were doing up there. They couldn't sit, you know, they couldn't walk around on the surface of the earth longing for their family, long and just not do anything. Oh, this is so good. They had an assignment there. And the first ones, it was just to collect some rocks. But eventually they got this moon rover and drove all... They had a specific list of tasks that they were assigned by the headquarters of NASA back in Houston that they were to accomplish. Some of them were tests. Some of them were things to bring back. So they were there. Oh, this is good. They were on a foreign place on an assignment. And I suspect that they didn't ever get to the point, well, I don't know, we're never going to get off of this place. My goodness. Or they got so in love with it, they say, I don't want to go home. Because all they do is look out the window and say, hmm, this is not home. I don't see trees. I don't see water. There's no beach out there. No. All right, we better move on. Verse 14, those who say such things, such things are as that we're strangers and we're pilgrims here. Those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Look at verse 15, for truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they come out of, they would have had an opportunity to return. This is very important. Intense. They knew it wasn't permanent. But if they call to mind, this is why our mind's so important, if they let their mind keep thinking about what, the, what things were like back home, where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return to it. Remember the story of the Exodus? When the children of Israel cried out to God after 430 years of, of, well, it wasn't 430 years of, of slavery, but it was a large part of it was in slavery. And the bondage got so great, they called out to God, and God was prepared. He already had a, a deliverer 80 years into his preparation to, to lead them. And he sends Moses back, and the people follow Moses out, and through a whole series of miracles, they're expelled out of e- Egypt, and they, they come to the the, the, the Red Sea, and it looks like it's an impossible obstacle. They can't get out. They can't do what God's promised them to do. The Egyptian army's bearing down on them. And they, Moses cries out to God and says, you brought, the people came to Moses and said, you brought us out here to die. They didn't get out of Egypt yet. And then Moses cries out to God, and God says, what's that in your hand? A staff. He says, why are you standing there talking to me? That's my loose translation of it. Hold that staff out. And as he did, the sea parted, and of course, Two to four million people crossed on dry land and they saw their, the enemy, their, their enemy destroyed in front of them in one day. Wow, you think that would make an impression on you. They get three days out and their canteens get dry. We talked about this thing last week. They go to this, this stream and the water's bitter, maybe even poisonous. And what's their first reaction? Why did you bring us out here to die? Three days. Three days. And then they start complaining about it ain't food, so God provides free food out of heaven every morning. And then they start complaining about that food. They said, well, they, they, they longed for the leeks and the onions. Ugh. I mean, that's nice than a salad. They longed for the le- leeks. <laughs> that stuff. The food that they had back in Egypt. Listen to that. They longed for it. They longed for it. They thought about it. But in order to long for something, you have to think about it. If they had called to mind the country from which they came out of, they would have had an opportunity to return. The Israelites did that. They kept thinking about what things used to be like. They kept thinking about the pleasures they had. Of course, they forgot about the bondage. They forgot they were slaves. They forgot they had no freedom. They forgot they were beaten. But it was the food that got them. The burritos. The beans and the rice.
the pleasures, the things that appeal to their senses. They get to the promised land and they send spies in and they come back with food, good food, evidence of it. But their senses were moved by the fact that not only is the food there, but there were giants there. God didn't tell us about the giants, as if God didn't know. It's like God forgot what you forgot. God knew if He told them about the giants, they'd have gone back into Egypt. Over and over again, when anything went wrong, they wanted to go back to Egypt. At one point, Moses is on the mountain, getting instructions from God personally for them. Personal instructions for them. And they, it says because they could no longer see their leader, they wanted to make one for themselves. So they talked Aaron into making a golden calf out of the gold God had the Egyptian women give them to make the Ark of the Covenant to worship him by. And they start worshiping this idol which was formed after an idol in Egypt. So they kept wanting to go back. Whenever something went wrong, they wanted to go back into the world because that was still, the, 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 the Egypt was still in them. It's in the burritos. Or whatever appeals to your palate. They hadn't tasted that, so they didn't have to get that taste out of their mouth. They didn't have a memory of what it was like in Egypt, of the world. If they had called to mind the country in which they came out of, and we need to remember that because we've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. But we're still living in a world around us of darkness. And it appeals to our senses all the time. And when you get weary, when you get weak, when you've been fighting a battle for a while and you're getting tired, your senses are inclined to go back to Egypt your senses are inclined to go back, to keep pulling you back. And this is why we're going to learn that you are spirit, soul, and body. The part of you that's trying to pull you back is your body, which came from the substance of this earth. Well, this is where we're headed this morning. All right. But it's worth taking time to lay this foundation. Verse 16. But now they, that's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, desire a better, that is, a heavenly country, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Let's go to, this is not hard to find. We're going to see the foundation for this right now. Spend a little more time on that than I planned, but that's okay. Okay. In the beginning, let's stop there. In the beginning, that implies that there's something starting. That implies there's something that hasn't been going on that's now going to start going on. So in the beginning of what? That's the question. Well, it kind of answers that. In the beginning, God. Well, we could spend a week there. So before the beginning... There was God. Before the Big Bang, before the first amoeba climbed out of the primordial slush, there was God. I don't oh, I know. I keep, <laughs> there's so many directions I could go. In the beginning, God created, He didn't discover. He didn't evolve. God created. To create something is to take nothing and make something out of nothing. You and I do not have the capacity to create. You may think you're a creative person, but all you're doing is you're getting an illumination or a revelation of something God shows you. The life within you, you can't create. You can't destroy it either. You can just change its destination, but you can't destroy it because God created it. God created it. 
God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens does not refer to where God lives. Heaven refers to the spiritual atmosphere around the earth. And earth refers to the material substance of this earth. This is describing, if we went on to read down further, this is describing God creating this material realm of existence. So what we're talking about today is there's two kingdoms, there's two realms of existence. It's kind of hard to understand what a realm is because we don't use that word very often. Back when we had, there were kings in the world, there were the, 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 the king of the realm. Realm basically means an area of authority and power, though which over a ruler has authority or power over. And the Bible teaches us about two. There's a material realm, which is what God's creating here. And then there's the spirit realm, which is always exists. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to talk to you about this, this material realm because that's the realm that we're so aware of almost all the time. God created a new realm of existence, the spiritual, or the, the material or the natural realm it's often referred to. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith, can you put it up there? Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand. If we'd gone down and read through Hebrews chapter 11, uh, going back in Hebrews chapter 11, we would have seen, it talks about living by faith. By faith we understand that the worlds, that's this worlds that we're talking about, were created out of things, uh, created by, by faith we understand that they were created by God. So that things that are visible were, came from things which are not seen. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, by His Word. God said, if we went and read further in Genesis chapter 1, we see the way God created us, He just spoke words. That's very important to us. God creates with words. God's words are infinitely powerful. When God speaks, whatever He says has to come about with one exception, something he's told you and me to do. Put it another way, I heard Lafayette Scales say this a number of years ago, and it really struck me. The only thing that God ever created that does not instantly obey him is man. That's why Jesus spoke to storms, and they didn't argue with him. They didn't say, hey, no, you, no, no, you're just a person. We're a force of nature. No, they obeyed him when he spoke because he's the one that spoke. We're not going to go through all that. God's creation was carried out by the Word, Jesus. The instrument was the Holy Spirit. But the point is it was words, and He is the Word of God. So we'll go back to Hebrews 11, 3. By faith we understand this. You cannot understand how God created things by science. You cannot understand with a telescope a microscope, whatever scope you've got. It's only understood by faith. Why? Because the things that are created came out of things you cannot detect with a microscope, a telescope, or any other scope. And man has come to the place where in his infinite arrogance, which the Bible calls foolishness, believes that he can understand all of creation with his finite little tiny brain. That's like an ant, not your mother or sister. That's like an ant thinking that they figured out what the whole, your whole backyard's like. It's understood by faith. We understand that the, the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen, this natural material realm, were not made out of things that are visible. When God made the earth, He didn't go to Home Depot or Lowe's. He didn't send the angels out to get the materials to make the world. He just created them out of nothing. Hebrew of Romans 4, it's around verse 18, says, By faith, Abraham understood, believed, that, that God who made the promise to him can raise the dead and can call things into existence that never existed before with His words. With His words. And He's made you and me in His image. When we speak His word, over a situation. But we, don't, I can't, we can't go there this morning. Okay. 
Now, let's go to Genesis 2. That's the physical, natural realm that was created. Genesis 2, verse 7. And then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being or a living soul. The Lord God formed man. Go back to verse 7. We'll stay there. The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Now, out of, of, of we've talked about there's two realms. God's, there's the there's spirit realm, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then there's this natural realm God's creating. Now, this creation, God formed man out of the dust of the earth. Which one of these kingdoms is that dust of the earth of? It's the natural material kingdom. I mean, dirt. You know what dirt is, don't you? Okay. That's of this earth. So man's body is of the material substance of this earth. Because when you take a man's spirit out of him, this physical body dies. Because the only thing that makes it alive is the breath of God in it. Because in that first half of that verse, you had a pile of dust formed like a man. And kind of kind of get this image of God holding, now I'm not saying this is what happened, but this is what helps me. I kind of get this image of God holding this man under his armpits. And then God going, and he became alive. So when that breath is removed, that's why when we say somebody has expired, that literally means breathed out. Their breath, and if you've ever been with somebody, they, and the, the breath went out of them. So the part that you and I spend so much time taking care of is only the part of us that's from the substance of this earth. Which is why when your, phys- when your spirit leaves and this body dies, eventually what happens to it? It returns back into the substance of this earth. It returns back into dust. It returns back into dirt. So we're all just a pile of dirt walking around. <laughs> now, this material realm has certain characteristics. First of all, it, 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 it lives in time. And this is hard for us to grasp because everything we've ever known has a beginning and an end. But the kingdom of God has no beginning and has no end. God has no beginning because if He did, there'd be a time when He wasn't, which means He had to be created by somebody. Everything we know has a beginning and an end, and so it's in process of going from one phase to another. And you've noticed as you get older, you're going from one phase to another. Things that used to be so easy to do are not so easy to do. And I love what our dear sister Miriam Brown used to say. The process of aging means everything that used to be north goes south. You don't grow hair where you could grow hair, and you start growing hair where you don't, didn't grow hair. I mean, it's just, you know... <laughs> it's changing. It's in the process of decay. I remember one time hearing a doctor say that you start dying the moment you're born. Isn't that exciting? You start heading in that direction because eventually that's where you're going to go. Now, obviously, a baby grows and, you know, matures. And, but, so, but anyway, the point is this realm is temporary. It's transitory. That's why Ephesians, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18 says, We look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. Because the things that are seen, that's not just referring to our eyes. It refers to anything you can, anything your five senses can touch is temporary. It's only going to be here for a while. And yet that's what we invest all our time, our money. We invest our heart in, our caring in. We worry about things of this kingdom. And they're just temporary. They're short-lived. Now the second kingdom, let's go to, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6 quickly. This is God's kingdom. Now again, this is just a foundation. And there's no way I could make as clear to you the spirit realm, because if I could, then we wouldn't need this series, as I can this natural material realm. This is the story of a vision that Isaiah had. 
Isaiah 6.1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. So he got a vision into heaven, high and lifted up. And the train, the trail of his robe, like the train of of a bride's dress, filled the temple. And above him stood seraphim. This is hard to grasp. These are types of angels. Each one of them had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. You've got to understand, whenever you're reading, like in Revelation, whenever you're reading or Ezekiel or some vision that somebody's had into heaven, understand that you and I can only communicate with words. I'm trying, my mind, my spirit's seeing things in here, and my mind is trying to find words in my vocabulary that match what I'm seeing in here so that I can speak them out to you so that your mind can hear those words through your ears and your catalog of your mind goes through, oh, that's four and a half feet high, you know, you can see through it. Those are all terms that you and I have some idea to commonly relate to. But this is a man seeing something that's beyond our human ability to grasp. But all they can do is find human words to try to grasp them. As Paul says at one point, I I know a man who was taught up in the third heaven. He saw things that were unspeakable. That means he couldn't find words in his vocabulary to describe it. So understand, when he's talking about these things, these may not actually be wings. But Isaiah is trying to find some terms he knows. Above and so to Sarah, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. Verse 3. And one cried to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out. That's the angel. That's not God. And the house was filled with smoke. Nowadays, churches have to have smoke machines to try to duplicate that. We're not going to have a smoke machine to duplicate that. I want the real smoke. (laughs) I want the real smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst. Now Isaiah was probably the holiest man that lived at the time. Isaiah was a very holy man, and he lived in the king's court. And now he sees into heaven, and he sees God for who he is, and all he sees is everybody in heaven's crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Heaven and earth are filled with glory. That's all they're saying. That's their job. They're so overwhelmed with God's holiness that all that can come out of these angels' mouth, angels now, is holy, holy, holy. Isaiah, a holy man, looks at this holy God and says, Whoa! Huh. I, am a, I am a man undone. I don't belong here. <laughs> I'm a man of unclean lips. When he saw, See, this is what worship is. We don't really worship yet. I don't want to get into that. We sing songs that inspire us and get emotions stirred up, but real worship is spirit to spirit. And you can't turn that on. You can command people to praise. You can just decide, we're going to praise God right now. And there's nothing wrong with that. Praise is important. We're, we, can, we can decide, we're going we're to be thankful to God. That's initiated in our part. Praise is initiated in our part. But worship is something that God pulls us into by the Holy Spirit, where our spirits connect with His Spirit, and you begin to interact with Him spirit to spirit. That's why John, when I'm getting ahead of myself, John, John chapter 4, Jesus says, true worshipers, true worshipers, true worshipers must worship Him. The only way true worshipers can worship is in spirit. And in truth, that doesn't mean spirited. That means from our spirit. But because most of us aren't familiar with our spirit, most of us are familiar with our flesh and our emotions, our body and our soul. We don't know about this spirit man that's inside of us. We don't recognize true worship. So we think what we're doing is worshiping when what we're doing is fine. God loves it, but it's not the highest level. Hope I didn't lose anybody there. There's no condemnation in this. But if you don't know there's another level, you'll be satisfied with where things are. And God's not satisfied because he said, Jesus said, God longs for true worshipers. His heart's longing for people that will connect with him spirit to spirit. That's one of the reasons he's put his spirit in us. And Isaiah's now... In the spirit, whether this is a spiritual vision, a physical vision, we don't know. But somehow he can see God, not with these eyes, but with these eyes. He can see God in the spirit for who God is. And all he sees is holy, holy, 
holy. I guarantee you that if Jesus were to suddenly appear here, you would not stand up and clap. Jesus is here. And we go, if he were physically here, we'd be on our face. Not because anybody told us to. Philippians 3 says, and every, when he's seen for who he is, every knee will bow. Not just the church, those in heaven, the angels, on the earth, and under the earth. That's the demons. Because of who he is, his lordship, his authority, his holiness, his mightiness, his magnificence, his splendor. We see him for who he is. But because, we, because we're living in an earth, we're living this life here on the moon with forgetting, not in communication with... See, they were in constant communication with, with NASA back in, in Houston. That's why in Apollo 13, said, Houston, we got a problem. So they went... That was prayer, wasn't it? Be anxious for nothing, but everything make your request. Made. Houston, we, Houston, we got a problem. Oh, I'm going to go there too. <laughs> because we're so conscious, we live our life dominated by our physical senses, dominated by what our eyes see and what our minds are thinking about, dominated by our flesh and dominated by our soul and so little in touch with the spirit inside of us, which is the part of us is the kingdom of God inside of us, that, that, that we live in defeat. We struggle. We're trying to survive. Most Christians are just trying to survive and get by. And then God will never put us here to survive. I guarantee you that on those astronauts' checklists was not survive up there. Oh, they wanted to survive, but they were not just there to survive. They were there to do things. And if they spend all their time worrying about whether there's a leak in the spacesuit, do I going to have enough oxygen? If, am I going to be able to do this? They would never have moved. They would have stood right there. But they had confidence in that spacesuit. They had confidence in what the designer had built. They had been trained in it before they were put there. Their senses were trained to know right from wrong, which Hebrews 6 talks about. Therefore, they were able to accomplish what they were there to do. And Satan works very hard to keep Christians focused on this world, focused on this life, focused on, am I comfortable? Do I have enough to do? How am I going to make it tomorrow? Am I going to be able to pay the bills this week? Focus on, you know, there's pain in my body. Am I going to be able to live with All these things, all of which are from this natural material realm. That we don't spend enough time, we don't spend enough time. I got I to close. I got to go to this. I got to close with these points. When you receive Christ, you change kingdoms. Colossians 1.13. You don't need to put it up. It says, we've been delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. When you came to Christ, you changed kingdoms. You moved from the kingdom of this earth to the kingdom of God, which is the one that we're talking about. Ephesians 2, 1 through 4 says, we were dead by nature in our sins, but God made us alive by Christ Jesus. The kingdom of world, and here's the problem, the kingdom of this world is more real to us because of three basic things. First of all, we're ignorant. Many, of us, many Christians are ignorant of the kingdom within us. We're ignorant of this other kingdom. I'll give you a great example of this. In Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10, there's a story of Jesus coming upon a woman who was bent over like this for 18 years, or 38 years, I think it is. She was bent over like this. And she comes to Jesus, and Jesus said, Woman, you are loosed. And she stands up straight. But if you read the first verse, it tells us why she was bent over. She had a spirit of infirmity. So there was a demon causing her to be bent over. But I guarantee you that if she went to an orthopedic doctor, he would have run tests on her, x-rays and all the other RIs and scans... And he would have not said, here's your problem. You have a demon of infirmity. <laughs> now this is very real to me because in the course of my treatment I'm going through, I'm dealing with very natural diagnoses and very natural methods of treatment. And I'm, it's a fight 
to keep my eyes on the spiritual issue that's behind it. It's very easy to embrace the natural stuff because they say good things and positive things and just let the other go and then you start paying a price because then the devil uses, brings the fear in. And this helped me so much. So there may be a natural cause behind something, but there's a spiritual cause. That doesn't mean every sickness has a demon involved in it, but there's a spiritual, there are spiritual principles for instance, there are things the Word of God tells us to not do. If you do them, it says, in James chapter uh, 2 or 3, it says, where there is... Where, I'm not looking at anybody. Where there's envy and strife, those are doctrines of demons, and there is every, every evil work. So we walk around mad at somebody, mad at another Christian, mad at somebody else... And we don't realize we have spiritually opened a door for the devil to come in and clean our clock while we're speaking words of faith. So it may not be there's a demon that's caused that sickness, but you may have opened a door spiritually. See, God's Word tells... See, we just follow the instructions... We just follow the instruction book. See, we want to manage it. You know, well, I don't need to do that. That's not that important. It's just a little, I'm just a little envious. It's a little anger. I'm just, you know, I'm not, I'll get over it. You know, I can sit on this side of the church and they can sit on this side of the church. It'll be fine. Oh, I got to close. Got to close. So number one, we're ignorant that, the king, that that kingdom even exists within us. The second reason that this, we struggle with this is number two, we may know about that kingdom, but we've allowed this world to seem more real to us than that world. Because it's easier. It doesn't take any work to believe this pulpit's here. I just have to reach out and lean on it. But isn't it interesting? That's what Jesus was like for those disciples. Like my, I, I, my wife my, and me. She could reach over. She, she doesn't have to pray and use faith to believe that her husband's there. She can reach over and touch me. They could reach over and touch Jesus. They, oh, I feel His presence. Yeah, they could touch Him. But Jesus said it was better for them that he left. Why? Because what he, they had with him, they would now have in him. That's better in God's terms, but it's not easier. And in our flesh, we want what's easier. So we may know that this kingdom's in there, but it takes effort to learn to walk in the Spirit. This is what walking in the Spirit means. We're going to get into this later on. It takes effort to learn to do that. Number three, and this is the biggest one. We may know that kingdom exists in us, we may understand what we've got to do, but we're lazy. We spend so little time aware of this spirit inside of us and so much more time. Just think about where you spend all your time in a day. Clean, brushing your teeth, cleaning, and we should do those things. Deodorant, we should do those things. But we've got, got to get my hair just, because if I don't get my hair just right, I can't go to church. You know, because everybody's going to see me. What are they going to see? They're going to see your spacesuit. That's what this is. This is a spacesuit. I know. This is a spacesuit. And we, we get so worried about what, this, what are we going to look like here and so little time with what are we like in here. What's my heart like? What's going on inside? Is God pleased with this or with what's going on inside of me? Galatians 5.7 says that if you sow to the flesh you'll reap corruption. What you sow to, you'll reap. It's what you sow your time to, what you sow your money to, what you sow your efforts to, what you sow your heart to. If you're sowing it to your flesh, eventually that will reap corruption. Why? Because it's going to die. But if you sow to your spirit, if you sow to your spirit, you will reach the truth. You, you, you will reach eternal life. And, 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 uh, and I'll end with this. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourself treasures in, on this earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where, moth, where, where thieves cannot break in and steal. Where are we investing our time? Where are we investing just in our own personal life? Do you spend more time getting your, your appearance right than you do spending time communing with God? Do you spend more time 
with your mind thinking about the things of this life and what's going to happen tomorrow, what am I going to do this? Or do you spend your time meditating on the Word of God? Because you can meditate on the Word of God while you drive your car. You can, I meditate it when I wake, go to bed. Sometimes when I wake up, if I wake up in the middle of the night, I'll meditate on it or I'll listen to something. Remember, we began the Egypt, we began in Hebrews where it says, if they thought about where they came from long enough, they would long to go back to it. We've been called out of this world into His marvelous light. There's a battle going on for what your heart's longing for. Two kingdoms, the kingdom of our God and the kingdom of this earth. When you're born again, that kingdom of God comes inside of you. But we need to learn to be more aware of it. And we'll pick up on this next week. Let's pray. Father, you know each one of us right now. And I do not believe for for the slightest that you're sharing this to condemn any of us. But you want to awaken us because we're living in a very dangerous time and we need to learn to hear your voice. We need to learn how to worship you. We need to learn how to commune with you. We need to learn how to pray and and get answers to our prayers. And Lord, the reason many of us have struggled in these areas is because we've really not come to know by faith who you are, who your spirit is inside of us. And we've really not known by faith the kingdom, the hope that is laid set before us. So we fear in this life as if this were all it is. When the Apostle Paul said, if this life is all we have to hope in, we are of most men to be, miser- to be considered as miserable. And so, Father, as we begin to talk about these things, may your precious Holy Spirit begin to open the eyes of our understanding in our heart that we would truly see the hope of your calling for our life that's in Christ Jesus. And for that, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.